So we're in week uh, two of a series. It's really about the end times. Um, I'm excited about this series because I've never done a series on the end times. You know, people read the last book of the Bible, Revelations, and it kind of freaks people out, right? Because there's all of this imagery and all of these different creatures and things that, that uh, John sees. And uh, I, I can only imagine if he was seeing some of the military, um, you know, machines, planes, tanks like that, he would have thought like, man, these, these animals are crazy, right? Because that would have been his mindset um, in, in, you know, the year he was living. No, no technology existed. And so to get a picture of the future and then try to explain what he's seen to people that have never seen that, you would think that, I think if any of us are trying to explain to somebody that never saw what we are seeing now, they would think we're crazy, right? And so people read Revelation, they read some of the Old Testament uh, different prophets, and they, they have this question like, really, what is this going to look like? And uh, what's interesting today, we're going to talk about um, really what, what that looks like. And so let me just read the key verse. I want you to know this is why we're doing this series, because I want you guys to know um, what, what the what, how we should be prepared and what we should um, be looking for during the season, right? Because during COVID, uh, during different things that are happening around the world, people are getting asked, like, what, uh, what is the world going on? And uh, the Bible talks about the end times. It talks about what will take place. And so this, this whole month, we're going to walk that. What is it going to look like? And so here's the scripture. In First Chronicles 12, 32, there's a group of men known as the men of Issachar who understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. They were aware of what the season was, what the times were, so they always knew what to do. If you don't know what season it is, you will not know what to do. So if you didn't, weren't expecting something or you didn't know what time it was, you wouldn't know exactly the right thing to begin to implant and do. And so for us, we're saying, let's be the kind of people that follow Jesus that are asking, what, what season is it? What time is it? What can we do right now um, to, to be a part of what God is trying to do in the, in the world and the earth? And let's join him on, on the mission of, of doing what he's asked. And so last week we said this, that Jesus is coming again. That is good news. All right, he is coming back, and that's the, state, the, the promise he made. We believe in the second coming of Jesus. And so last week I talked about really the whole point of last week's message was to give hope. Okay, uh, So hope is the point of, of this series uh, because prophecy should give us confidence, not fear. All right, If you're afraid of, of what's going to come, then you're operating in the wrong spirit because uh, God doesn't give a spirit of fear. That is a demonic influence that brings fear. God doesn't. His spirit doesn't. And so whenever there's fear present, typically I've asked the question, why is the fear present, right? And it's not because God's giving it to you. Now, there's a fear of the Lord, which is different than the spirit of fear. The fear of the Lord means you actually are reverence and you're saying, God is God, he's in charge, and I respect that, uh, that about him, right? That's a, that's a different kind of fear. But the fear that, that usually that, that dominates our society is really, it's a spirit of fear, not the, the fear of the Lord. And so the whole point of the series is hope. So I was asking Sarah last week, I was like, so do you think people might get a little freaked out? She's asking me, like, do you think people might get a little anxious as we talk about the end times? And I said, well, just wait for next week, because if they aren't anxious, next week might make some. But I said, really, if, if we're honest with the, where we're at, and that we acknowledge that Christ is Lord, and we acknowledge that he is leading the way, there should be no reason for any kind of anxiousness or anxiety or, or fear that, that should dominate our life when we understand what's coming. Right? That's the point of it. Jesus is telling his disciples, guys, this is what's going to come. Like He was trying to prepare them for his death, and they still missed it. And they freaked out because they weren't listening completely with their heart and with what, what God was saying. They were only filtering it through what they wanted. And then when they realized what God was asking, then they were finally able to have peace in the middle of the storm, finally have peace in the middle of the difficulties. So for us, if we're going to have peace in the seasons that come, Really, we have to begin to trust God and his word, okay? And so the whole point of this series is to bring hope and a confidence, not to scare people. And if you are fearful, then it's probably just an indication that you're not ready. 
Um, and that would be something that should really challenge you to say, God, where's my heart in all this? Please help me to get ready. Please help me to know how I'm supposed to respond. And so we talked about last, last week, we said, you know, the second coming is coming. Jesus said he will come again. And we said, but there's good news for the church. And what we believe in the second coming before it happens, he'll actually rapture the church, his, his bride, his, his, his people, and he'll take them, um, and he'll, he'll snatch them from the wrath that's going to come. And so we'll talk about the wrath a little bit today, but really we're going to talk about that next week. And that's called the tribulation, seven years of tribulation that Revelation talks about, that Daniel talks about, that Jesus talked about. Um, so a lot of these uh, authors of the Bible are pointing to these last days. And this we said. So even though people don't know a time or a day, like Jesus said, we will not know the hour. Uh, there, we can recognize the seasons. We can recognize the signs that will be there. But we don't know exactly when he's going to come back. And so when we said this, that one day will be our last day. One day is going to be your last day. One day is going to be my last day. Whether that's the rapture of Jesus rescuing us, taking us, or that's the end of my life, or by some other thing, maybe some accident or something else that takes my life early, right? Um, some day is going to be our last day. And so we need to be prepared for that. And we said this, that we should plan as though Jesus is not returning for 100 years. That's how we should plan our lives. We should be responsible with how we manage finances, manage our, our families, manage all the things that God has entrusted us, right? Um, so we should do that as if he's not returning for 100 years, but we should live as Jesus is returning any moment, any day. And when you live that way, you actually live with intentionality because you're saying, I'm planning for the long haul, but I'm prepared and I'm ready if he's come back today. So if he came back today and I have to give an account of my life, what, how much confidence am I going to have in that account? God, I did the best with what you've given me, right? And Jesus tells these parables over and over that he entrusted some with a little bit, some with a little bit more, and some with a little bit less. And then he, he asked them to come and give an account of the talents and of the, of the things that he gave to them. And those that were faithful with the little that he gave, he gives them more. And those that were not faithful, the little they had is taken away from them. So over and over, Jesus tells us, live in such a way that you're intentional with your life that you can stand before God one day and say, I did the best that I could possibly do with my life. All right. So that's, that was last week. Um, and kind of just to set up the, the series for us is uh, I wanted to give the hope. I wanted to give the encouragement. And, and the whole series is, but really I wanted people to know I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that something good is coming. It's going to be good. It's going to get bad. But there's a lot of good that comes in the middle of all of that. All right. So now let's talk about scripture. Let's talk about prophecy. If a third of the Bible is talking about the future, and the majority of that is talking about the end, um, we should do, it would do us well to pay attention to what the writers are saying. And so we're going to go back to the Old Testament, because the New Testament has a lot to say, but so does the Old Testament. In fact, the book of Daniel is where we're going to pick up, and we're going to read in the book of Daniel, where Daniel has these, uh, ha- has these visions, and he has, has this encounter with, um, with an angel, uh, in fact, Gabriel, uh, one of the archangels, and and uh, he, he has this, this conversation with him about the future. Um, and in the middle of all this, Daniel is in a foreign land. He's, in, he's, he's living in a foreign land, not in his hometown. He was taken away as a captive. Um, and in the middle of this, he's seeking God to try to bring the kingdom of God even to where he's at, right, to do the best he can in, his, in where he's at. Very good picture of what we face on a daily basis here, I think, in the United States, in our world. Is, uh, we are, we're living in a post-Christian society now they call it, right? So people don't really believe um, like they used to believe when, when, when America was founded. And so it's shifted, it's changed. So we're living in a season probably very similar to Daniel's season. And so we look at how he was faithful in that, and that should give us encouragement and confidence so that we can also hold our ground and also be a, a, a blessing to those around us, right? So let's read in Daniel, okay? Uh, Daniel 9, uh, this is the, uh, the, of, of, uh, what, what takes place. So he says, While well, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill. 
So Daniel, what I love about Daniel is, is in this, in this um, season of unknown, he's had these visions, he's had the angels show up and talk to him. It's kind of disturbing him a little bit. He's trying to figure out what does all of this mean? And so it says he keeps going and seeking God and praying, right? He goes and shuts, closes himself in his room and begins to pray and seek God. And he says, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I have seen earlier in the, in the vision, I think that was another chapter, maybe seven, came to me swift in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. So Gabriel just all of a sudden shows up, um, and he says this, As soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are... Oh, I'm sorry. He instructed me. Sorry, go back. I, I skipped. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. Insight and understanding. Here's the thing I love about God. God doesn't leave us in the dark. He gives us, he turns on the lights for us when we really want to see it. Uh, Prophet Jeremiah says, if you seek the Lord with all of your heart, you will find him. So if you want to find God, you have to seek him with all of your heart, okay? So he says, I'm here to tell you, give you insight. As soon as you begin to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So Daniel begins to pray, and God responds to Daniel's prayer, and Gabriel begins to take it, right? As so while he's praying, the answer comes. Um, Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Consider the word, understand the vision. This series, what we're trying to do is say, let's consider, let's try to understand what God is trying to say. So he says 77, some translations say 70 weeks. What those weeks means is seven years, right? So it's a 70, um, seven years. 70, uh, it's a set of 77s. Does that make sense? So um, the sevens means just seven years, and there's going to be 70 of those 70 years, okay? Uh, so it's be 490 years is, what it is, is, this, is the time frame he's talking about. Are decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin and atone for wickedness. So the season is going to take care of all of this stuff that, that he's talking about. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. So even the season is going to seal up prophecy. It's going to, it's going to let things come to fruition and, and finally be, be known. Um, Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. No, he says this again, know and understand, right? So he's saying, pay attention to this, I'm giving you some details, don't miss it. From the time the word is spoken, right, something's going to take place. There will be 70, so there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, it will be rebuilt with the streets and a trench built in times of trouble. All right, so already you're kind of like listening like, what? Seven sevens and 62 sevens and five sevens and four sevens, like... All of these sevens and all these numbers are still confusing. What does that mean? Um, I'm glad you asked the question, right? So we're going to get to that. Um, and then he says, at 62 sevens, the anointing one will be put to death, but not for himself. So this, this is known as the 70 sevens, all right? Or 70, week, 70 um, groups of seven years, right? So every seven years, that would be one of the 70s, okay? So 490 years. And the first one he says, when he says there's going to be seven Sevens, right? He's saying there's going to be 49 years it's going to take to rebuild um, Jerusalem, the city. And so um, he, he said this is going to take place. It's going to take about this, this long, this many years just to rebuild the city. Well, think, I, I'm so grateful for Scripture because um, we can actually begin to look at Daniel and say, well, what other parts of this story is this related to that can help us see what's going on, right? So the angel Gabriel is telling Daniel, I'm going to tell you something about the future is going to take place. Uh, but we can go back because of history, not just because of the Bible, but even other recorded documents that we've seen, and, and ask the question, was he accurate? Was he true? Was, was, was he on? Or did he miss it? Were all those numbers just crazy nonsense, right? Because it sounds like there's just a lot of numbers out there. And so essentially he said uh, 434 years until the Messiah comes. 
So he breaks it up, those, those, those 77s into three groups, right? So one was the 49 years. Uh, the other one would have been the 62, right? Um, and then the last one was another seven years. So um, that, that takes us to 483 years because the last seven are going to be the future, which we'll talk about in a little bit. So the ones that he says from the, dec- the time the decree goes out, what decree is he talking about? Somebody's going to make a decree that it's time to go back to, to Jerusalem and build the city. Okay? Somebody's going to speak that. It's actually going to be a king, and it's recorded in history that this king spoke it. And I'll actually give you the date when he spoke it. And from that day, it's going to, so from the day he speaks it, 483 years, uh, King Artaxerxes right, uh, is the one who spoke it in 445 B.C. Uh, according to records found by Sir Henry Rawlinson, who actually found uh, the temple, the citadel of Susa, um, or Sushan, um, he actually found the record when King Artaxerxes actually spoke the decree for them to go back to Israel. And the year is 445 B.C. So if Daniel is, if the Bible is accurate and Daniel is on, he's getting some insight from the angel about the future, um, what does that look like? And so actually um, this, this uh, Sir Henry Rawlinson, uh, who, was, who was going and, and, and digging and excavating and trying to find you know, the history of what took place there, he actually gives a date. It's not just 445. He actually said it took place on March 14, 445 B.C., um, before Christ, right? And so um, if we were to do the math, if 438 years, that's going to equal, because we're going by the Jewish calendar, which is the lunar calendar, that's a little different than our 365 days, that's going to be 173,880 days, all right? So if we add that number, 173,880 days, to March 14th, where does that take us? That takes us to Palm, the, the Passover week, of April 6, 32 AD, which is the week that Jesus gives his life as a ransom. So remember he said um, in Daniel, he said there's going to be the anointed one. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to die, but not for himself. He's going to die for the people of Israel. He's going to die for the world. So Gabriel said, Daniel, Daniel, some interesting things are going to happen in the future. Pay attention, understand, because this is going to help you have insight it's going to help you understand that God has, has plans for the world that are good. And so he says it's going to take place. So if you ever wonder if the Bible is accurate, all right, you just have to go begin to look at some of this stuff. Nehemiah and, and Ezra, those books tie into this story of Daniel because they're the ones that go back. In fact, Nehemiah, the king, actually, he's the one that um, decrees Nehemiah to go back to build the wall and to begin to build the city. Ezra goes a few years before that to go be, rebuild the temple first. Um, and all of this falls within that same time frame that where Daniel's speaking. And some people say, well, yeah, but they just went in and just put the numbers in after the fact. No, Daniel was circulating long before even Jesus came to the earth. So um, that was already already happening. All these numbers are already there before Jesus even came. But notice something. The people of Israel, they still missed Jesus' coming. They had this information, and they missed what was coming in the future. Um, people from the east, wise men they're known as, they read the stars, they read the signs, they understood the season they were in, and they actually showed up for his, for, for his coming, right? They were paying attention, they were aware. The people of Israel, they missed his coming. They were looking for something different. So when I think of scripture, I think of prophecy, this is amazing. So if Daniel was, was um, let me just say this, God is a God of order, all right? He's a God of order. He has a system, he puts things in place, and then he invites us into that same kind of life. So when our lives are out of order, it's actually an indication that we're not following him. When we're out of order with our finances, out of order with our, with our relationships, with our work, with, with just the things that we manage, right? Um, I would encourage you, just little details, like how you manage your car. 
how you manage your room, how you manage just life. Those are indications a lot of times of, of how we um, view life and what's important. And God is saying, be a, let's follow his example of, um, of, of being in order. So this, this book is a miracle. It's not just a book. It's a book of books. But more than that, it's something God, a gift God's given us to know that we can trust him, right? He doesn't leave us in the dark. Um, that if we seek him, we will find him. So if he got it right, the first um, 483 uh, sevens, right? If he got those right, what about the last sevens? What, is this, what does this look like? So in verse in Daniel 9, uh, verse 26, is about the last of those, the, the first part, right? That Jesus is going to come. Well, then he jumps into 27. And what's really weird, I was reading commentary about this, because a lot of people are like, there's this, there's this gap, right? Because then all of a sudden he goes from Jesus, and then he goes to the last seven, right? And this is what he says about the last seven. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city of the sanctuary. Sorry, this is still the first seven. And the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. So he says after Jesus dies on the cross, but not for himself, the people that, that, are, that, that kill him, they're going to destroy the city. Did that happen? Yes. AD 70, it, uh, um, Rome came in and destroyed uh, the temple. It did, they leveled the temple. They destroyed Israel, uh, Jerusalem, right? They destroyed the city. Um, and that's what Jesus said. He said, hey, guys, by the way, um, there will be a short time. There will not be another one of these blocks staying on top of each other. He's telling the disciples what's going to take place when Rome comes and destroys the city. And then they, go, they get scattered. The Jewish people get scattered throughout all of the world, right? So then from this point, uh, because of the wars, because of that, there's this pause in, in verse 26 that, that, um, that now goes to 27, and he says this. He will confirm a covenant, many for one step, and in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. So um, he begins now to talk about the Antichrist, which is 2,000 years later, right? So if you're reading this and you don't have any understanding of, of, of what's taking place, it kind of just sounds like it's just one keep, keeps going. But, but historians, I was reading this, and I said, well, the reason is because Gabriel told Daniel, this is for my people, Israel. So I'm going to give you insight into what's going to take place. Jesus is going to die. Shortly after he dies, going to, the temple is going to be destroyed. They're going to be scattered, right? So from that point on until this point, Israel no longer really is in existence, right? It's going to take a season for them to get back into, the, the, into their country and the temple to be set up again and all these things to put, take place. But he says, but Daniel, this is what's going to happen at the end. The last seven of those years I'm talking about for, my people, for, for, the, for the world, pay attention. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end, and that decree is poured out on him. So there's going to be a man who comes. He's going to make a treaty with Israel for seven years. And three and a half years into that treaty, he's going to break it. Not only that, he's going to go into the temple, and he's going to make himself, set himself up as God. This is known as the Antichrist, right? We get the last seven years called the seven years of tribulation. And then three and a half years when he does this, it's called the great tribulation. So then it just all hell breaks loose at that point. So up to this point, most likely it's going to be very difficult, and next week we'll talk more about this. But this is the, the, the what, what he's, he's um, the Gabriel is telling Daniel, here's what's going to happen in the future. So if he was accurate about the past, we can believe that he's accurate about the future as well. And so Gabriel is telling Daniel, pay attention, this, things are going to take place, right? And so he talks about the seven years. Well, Jesus also talks about this same scripture. He quotes Daniel, and he talks about what's going to take place when he's talking about the end with his disciples. Matthew 24, you can read that whole chapter. It's all about the end times. In fact, they keep asking him, when the world will end, what's going to take place? They're curious, just like a lot of us. What exactly is going to take place? And Jesus answers him. In fact, let's now jump forward to the, to the New Testament, to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. He makes a statement in Matthew 24. He says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. 
As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that the summer is near. So he's saying, pay attention to the seasons, right? Just in the same way of farming, when you see a tree begin to have some, some twigs coming up and starts to bud, you know fruit's going to come, right? He says it's a new season, right? It's, 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 you know that summer's close when you see this happening. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. What are all these things? He talked about war. He talked about famine. He talked about um, um, rulers coming in, right, scattering the people. When you see all of these things, he's saying, just know that it's right at the door. It's close. He says, truly I tell you this. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. A lot of times people think, well, this generation meant he was talking to his, his disciples, that generation, right? But we know history, that's not what he was talking about. So when he says, if you read the whole chapter of, of Matthew 24, he's talking about all these things are going to happen. And he says, don't, don't, just because they start happening doesn't mean it's going to, they're just the beginnings of birth pains. But he says this generation, and what, what historians now and Bible scholars believe is, he's saying this generation means that there will be one generation who will see all of the signs. So up until this point, we've seen some of the signs. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen wars. We've seen famines. We've seen pestilence. But the last generation, and he's saying that generation, they're going to see all of the signs. Not just some of them, but all of them, right? And, and they will not certainly pass away until all these things have happened. In the end, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So everything he's decreed, it's going to take place. So you have to ask the question. So Jesus is giving insight into the future, right? He's saying there's going to be a generation who experiences all of it. Well, how long is a generation? Psalms 90, and, and here's, here's a, just a, a rule that you use in Scripture. When you're trying to translate and understand, interpret Scripture, you always want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? You don't want to use other sources. You want to use the Scripture to prove itself. And so Psalms 90 says this about a generation. The days of our lives are 70 years, as if by reason of strength they are 80 years. So generation is somewhere between 70 and 80 years, right? So in, in 1959, the average lifespan was 69.9 years. In 2016, it went up 10 years to 78.9 years as average lifespan. So that's pretty accurate what even the scripture is talking about. About 80 years, some are going to get a little bit more, some are going to get a little less, right? But on average, somewhere between 70 and 80 years would be a generation. So if that's the question, if this people are going to see this generation, what should we be looking for? Next week, we're going to talk about a lot about the signs and what, what we can expect, what we should be looking for. But let's just talk about Jesus. He's saying this generation. Something very, very significant happened in our generation, right? Well, before me, before I was born. In 1948, the nation of Israel became a nation once again. Very significant um, because a lot of the prophecy has to do with Israel. In fact, Israel is the ground zero for Bible prophecy, all right? So when we read scriptures, we tend to read it as Americans, right? I hear sometimes hear people say, well, you know, it's not that close. It's really not that bad here. I'm like, go to another country. Like, it might not be bad here, but... Our, our brothers and sisters, they're, they're being slaughtered over there for their faith. Us, not yet. And for a long time, you know, I, I was always aware because I know different countries face different things than we do, and we have it pretty blessed. And up to this point, even with, with the eschatology and end times, I never really made it a priority because I never saw enough to say it was close until this year. Um, the thing that's got me kind of more shaken than anything is to see how people are responding to each other. Coronavirus, we can expect pestilence. We can expect disease to pop up. But when you see people hating each other, family members hating each other because of different views, because of different, different ways that they view, that is, that is a, we're on very dangerous ground because things can change very quickly 
if you get the wrong person in power. We see this in the Nazis, right? It just took Hitler just a few years to get everybody to go in the wrong direction. If we're not careful, our nation could go in the wrong direction. But here's the thing. As, as Bible prophecy unfolds, right, we will see a lot of these things take place. And for me, I thought, you know, it's going to take a while for, for America to ever become that. And then I've been seeing what people actually believe in our nation and how uh, we don't stop some terrorists who call themselves, um, you know, who are out there causing destruction, these riots. And uh, they actually want to destroy America. They don't, they don't, don't just want to stop. They're not, they're not fighting for black lives. They're not fighting for any kind of political system. They want to destroy us as a nation. That's their stated goal, right? Um, and a lot of these organizations are popping up. Their stated goal as Marxists and anarchists is to destroy government, to bring it down, um, which is really about at what some point when the Antichrist does rise, it's because we're all going to need some leadership that, that he's going to promise everybody he's going to do, right? And people will buy into that system. Um, it'll become more of a socialist uh, world system that we all have, most likely because of some kind of economic collapse. You know, So we can talk about the next week a little more. But um, in this, so the question is, in this generation, something significant happened. 1948, Israel um, started again, right? So if Jesus started the clock, Gabriel started the clock with, da- with Daniel, saying um, this is the time frame, right? And Jesus is saying, pay attention, be aware. Well, here's, here's one of the indications that we have to watch for is Israel is significant in this world. They own a little, small, little part of the world, a little piece of land that everybody's fighting over, right? And it causes a lot of issues. Um, God made a promise to Abraham. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse Israel will be cursed. Every time America has come against Israel, we have had negative consequences in our nation. Every single time. Great history and the time the presidents try to take land from them, try to separate them. And this is part of Revelations that says those who separated their land, those who divided their land, those who scattered them, they will be judged for it. And every time a nation comes in and tries to scatter and tries to um, destroy and hurt, there's always a curse that comes with that. And so... Israel is a very key component in this whole um, the, the, the end times and how it's going. So if we did the math, 1948, right, would put us at 72 years right now. It's been 72, almost 73 years since Israel was born. So it, if a generation is correct, around 80 years, and this is why you don't ever set dates, right? You know, I'm not saying, you know, in two years, three years. But if we did the math, and part of that 80 years actually would include the seven years of tribulation, so we'd add another seven years, we're, the end would be uh, um, really, really close. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? So we're very, very close. 72 years plus the seven is 79 years. So if we added another year, possibly the tribulation and some of those things could start within our generation, within a short time, if that is accurate with those dates that I'm talking about. Um, he points to the seasons, he points to the times, and he says, be aware, pay attention, because they are, right? Um, so let me show you something else in Scripture that kind of will give us an indication of that we're close, right? So the days of creation in the seven millennium, all right? So a lot of historians, they believe that when Jesus in Genesis is telling us about creation, he's actually pointing to something also larger, right? So we see day one, right? So from the days of cre- uh, creation, we see the parallels of prophecy. Um, light, day one, light separates from darkness. So on the first day of creation, God separates the light from darkness, Right? And then the sins of the first humans, Adam, they separate God from the light. Right? They, they, they actually bring light and darkness, uh, not just physically, but now spiritually. So that takes place in the first, that's the most significant thing that takes place um, in the first millennium. Right? So the second day, this would be the second millennium, uh, the waters below and, and um, the waters above and below are separated. Well, what happened in the second millennium? 
um, there, it was said that the people were wicked, and, and angels came and had, had um, intercourse with women, right? And they had these creatures that were there, and, and God destroys the earth, right? Because of the wickedness that was going on. That's Noah. So the second generation, he, he separates the water below and, and above again the second, the, for the second millennium. Day three, seed-bearing plants uh, begin to fill the earth with life. So this would be the third millennium, right? The third day, God created plants with seeds. For the first time, earth had life in it. That would be the third day. In the third millennium of human history, the Lord made a, a lasting promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So he makes a promise the third, third, th- 3,000 years in. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Day four, lights fill the sky. So on the fourth day, God fills the, the sky, right, with, with stars, with the sun, everything, to, to, to the solar system to move forward. So he makes these, all of these uh, on the fourth millennium. Uh, God raised up a prophet to give light to Israel, right, to send his son Jesus as a light of the world. So it's a picture of Jesus coming to the, to the earth. And then day five is living animals and, that, uh, that he created. And so he creates the living creatures, right? In the fifth millennium of history, God raised up a new creature, uh, who would inherit eternal life because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. That would be uh, the church, right? He creates this new believer, a Christian. And then day six, humans created as own crown of God's creation. Um, on the sixth day, God created man and woman, man and woman, and he tells them, go and rule the earth, right? Help them uh, subdue it, um, be in charge of all of this. So in the sixth millennium, which we're living in now, we see the, the church age, right? He now tells the church, go be fruitful, multiply, go and make disciples, Help people to know to be a part of the kingdom of God. So that's the sixth day, and it's also known as the, the age of grace, right, that we're in. So then the seventh day in Genesis 2, what does it say? God rested. So the seventh millennium, the 7,000 year, will be a, a, a millennium of rest. Um, as you read this in Revelations, it talks about the, the, the thousand years of Christ ruling on the earth. So he's going to come after 6,000 years, that's 6,000, and, and at 7,000 he's going to rule and he's going to reign, right? So after God created it, then he rests on the seventh day. And so that's what the Bible's talking about is we're really close to that. And right before that happens, they says there's this great, there's this tribulation and a great tribulation that takes place right before he returns. That'll be his second coming, right? And, um, and he will then begin to set up his kingdom here on the earth for a thousand years. And then after the thousand years is over, it says he will, because Satan's going to be locked up for that thousand years. He's going to release Satan for a short time who's then going to go and deceive the nations once again, cause them to, to get an army built up to go after, after Israel once again to try to kill it. Um, but God will then be, be uh, victorious. And then that is where we enter into the new heavens and the new earth. So scripture is pointing to these things, right, over and over and over, uh, trying to help us to see something uh, that we, um, to have confidence, have courage, knowing that at some point we will have a day of reckoning, that we will have a day that we give an account to God for everything. And, and the same way that God destroyed um, Sodom and Gomorrah, right, but he rescued Lot, that's, Jesus says, in that, just, just like the days of, of Lot, right, I'm going I'm to snatch out Lot from that, and then judgment's going to come on, 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 that, on that, those cities. God's going to take away his bride, and judgment's going to come on the earth. The good news is, that for those that follow Christ, man, we, we can believe that he's going he's to rescue us, he's going to help us through that journey, and then the, the, there's still good news. Even those in, the, in those seven years, there'll still be a grace. It'll be much harder because a lot of people say they actually reject God. Well, let's keep going. Uh, John 2 says this. Um, John 2, 11. When Jesus did, did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So John 2 is the record of Jesus' first, um, his first miracle. He turns 
water into wine, right? Um, we say miracle, but notice how John records it. He records it as a sign, right? So a miracle is supernatural that only God can do. And uh, he, it, it was a miracle, but it's beyond that. Um, a, a wonder it makes people have awe and amazement. The God does something amazing. People say, wow, that was pretty awesome. But a sign always points to something other than themselves for the meaning. And so a lot of uh, scholars believe that when Jesus, he, he got six water pots, right? And the first thing he did was bring heaven's wine to earth, right? And that's why he started his ministry. And so those six water pots would symbolize the sixth millennium, right? And then the seventh, he actually says, before he dies, he has one more um, meal with his disciples. And he says, I won't drink this wine until we're, we're in the kingdom again, until the seventh millennium starts, right? And he says, so he, so he puts it off. So the first thing he does is he brings heaven's, earth, uh, heaven's wine to earth. And the last thing he will do is celebrate heaven's wine with us in heaven. And so it's, uh, a lot of scholars believe he's pointing, giving us a sign, indication that hey, these six, these six days, these six years are really important. Second Peter, Peter says this. He says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffers, oh, scoffing and following their own evil desires. So he says in, in this whole context, he's talking about people who are going to mock and tease Christians for believing that there will be an end, right? Uh, and if you ever encounter somebody that just says, you know what, that, that's just nonsense, it's going to go on. He says, they, they will say this, right? Where is the coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has it since the beginning of creation. They're going to mock, they're going to tease, saying it's going to be the same. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. They forget, God created this all, right? And by these waters, also, the world of that time was, was, was drowned, was deluged, and destroyed, right? They're talking about the flood. Um, but the same word, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are, are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. Do not forget, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So Peter is giving this insight into saying, hey guys, just pay attention, right? So the, six day, the seven days of creation, right? And one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. He's saying, just pay attention to the, to the signs. Pay attention that even in the end, when people laugh and mock and scoff, that, that, that God has a, has a plan. He will be successful. He will come out on top successful, victorious. And he says, be a part of this. Don't, don't lose faith and don't stop believing, but, but trust him and follow him, right? And in this whole, this whole uh, section of, of Peter talking about the end times, he's saying, don't let your hearts um, stop believing. Don't let your hearts heart stop trusting, stop trusting God uh, because he will come and he will um, bring judgment to the earth, but then he's going to bring his kingdom uh, also to those who follow him. So when it comes to the end times, when it comes to our life, how do we live? You plan as though Jesus, right, is not coming for another hundred years. You plan, you organize your life in such a way, and then you live as though Jesus is returning today. If you have understanding of where you are in this world and what you're accomplishing, you'll know what to do. If you understand what God is asking you, you'll know how to live. And that's the whole point of, of what we do as following Christ. Is he's saying, let me help you see that life is, is but a moment. It's, it's but a breath, right? It, it's short. It goes pretty quick. As soon as you realize you wake up, you're at the end of it. And one day will be the end for all of us. And we need to be prepared as if that day would be today, right? So you plan, you, you organize your life, but then you live as though any moment he could come. And when I give an account, he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? You can say, God, I was faithful. I did my best with the things that you put in my hands. So here's 
Here's, a, here's my challenge for us today, right? Would you get your life in order? And this should be all the time. Would you get your life in order? Every part of your life, get it in order. There is not a part that you can compartmentalize and say, this is my spiritual life. This is the life that, that I you know, share with God, and this is everything else. No, no. Your life is it, it's holistic. It's the whole thing. So don't, don't break it up like, hey, well, Monday is my day. Just do whatever I want to do, right? No. Monday should be just as important as Sunday. And Wednesday should be just as important as Sunday and other days, right? And you get this order. You get this rhythm. You get this routine. You get systems in your life to help remind you of who you really are. This is why prayer, Bible study, church, small groups, worship, why these are important to have in our lives on a daily basis. Why? Because they remind us of who we are. Sundays, on a weekly schedule, you know why it's so important? Because every single day we start the week, every single week we start the week off by saying, God, you are God and I'm not. I don't know about you, but I need weeks like that. I need days like that. I need moments in my life where I pick up the Bible and say, God, I really want to do all this other stuff that really won't matter. It's really just selfish. It's really just for me. Sometimes not even sin, not even bad. Sometimes it, it is things that, I, that, that pull me away from God. But a lot of times it's just things that are just things that don't really make a difference either way. But when I pick up the scripture and say, God, what time is it? Right? Really, what time is it? In my life, give me an awareness. Give me an understanding of how I should live. I get refocused, and it reminds me, Eric, this life is not for yourself. This life is not lived just for you. In fact, if you're faithful with a little bit now, God will reward you with a lot more later. Don't become the people that only want now, and they miss the later. And God is inviting us. So start with God in everything. Everything. Start your day off. Start when it comes to your finances. This is why first fruits are important. You're making a declaration saying, God, you're first in my life. I put you first, right? In your marriage, you start by saying, God, we invite you into this. Um, I heard a couple, they said um, their marriage was really bad when they first started. They had to fight horribly, like really bad fights. And they got to this point where they said, if we're going to really let Christ be Christ in our, in our marriage, we need to start praying more. So whenever a fight was starting, they would say, hey, time out. We need to ask God to help us in this. Right? <laughs> and they would stop and they would pray and say, God, we want what we want, but we know that you have something better, so please help us figure out what you want. And their prayer actually began to transform the way they would fight. It wasn't an unhealthy way to, to argue, right? It became a, a, a way of saying, it's not about me, it's not about her, it's about what you want to do in this. And when we put God first in things, things change. So in every area of your life, get them in order. Little things, right? Um, how you manage things, how you manage the possessions he's given you. They're not yours, they're God's, he's given them to you. And if you're faithful with it, he'll actually give you more, but it's not just for yourself. He told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But the reason you're blessed is not just to get more blessings. It's so the world can be blessed through you. And these are the people God is looking for. Who are those people in this world that I can bless with more so they can be a blessing to others? There are kids in our world that need to be fed, right? He wants to bless his church to be a blessing to those. There's people in our city that don't know Christ. He wants to bless those that can be able to take those resources and that gospel to them. If we're faithful with a little bit, he'll give us more. We're saying, God, we put you first. So if God's a God of order, we need to become people of order, right? That we say we put you first in all things. We put you first. So I don't know about you and what, what you need to do, but there needs to be systems that you put in place that remind you of this. You already have some of these systems. Uh, I, I can say, and I have to fight this. The first thing you do, you pull your phone up, right, and you look, and there's all these notifications from Facebook and email and whatever, and it's so tempting to be like, huh. What did he say about me, right? And then the first thing you do in the morning is you look at whatever your phone notified you of. What if instead of that, you would actually say, you know, instead of put some kind of a reminder or some kind of alarm that says, hey, would you pray first? 
Would you seek God first? Would you let your heart turn towards eternity first? Because God put eternity in our hearts. He wants us to be saying, God, you are more important than anything else in this world. He really is. He's more important than anything you could do in this world. And one day when you're in heaven, you're not going to say, man, see all the toys I had? See all the things that I accomplished with my life? You're going to say, God, thank you so much for allowing me to know you. Give me the opportunity to serve you. Give me the opportunity to help others know you. That's what you're going to celebrate. You're going to go and hug those people, and they're going to come and hug you that you made an impact in their life. You're going to go and worship before the lamb who was slain so you don't have to be. You're going to go, and I'm going to go, and it's going to be so much different than our our selfish, self-centered, easily to make it about us lives. That's not what it's about. And culture always spins it to say, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. Buy this, do this, do that. It's all about us. Our phones, social media is designed to make us feel good, right? The chemicals released, we want more of it. But at the end of the day, all of that stuff is just stuff. And God is saying, I have something more for you. And Jesus says, pay attention, because the times and the seasons will be there. If you're watching, you'll be able to know how to use your life in such a way that will make a difference. I don't know about you guys, but I hope this encourages you to hear some of this. If in this series you begin to feel a little bit of uneasiness, that is actually a gift from God, from the Holy Spirit. He's pointing out something that's not working in your life. It's called grace. And he says, if you will work on this area of your life, you will see improvement. If you'll let me overcome this part of your life, you'll see something better. Just trust me. Trust me. See, now, if it's, if it's a condemnation it's a, and, and the voice is coming and saying, you're no good, you, you're, you've lost, <laughs> you, don't, you should give up, then that's the enemy. And that voice is trying to keep you from God's goodness. But if it's the Holy Spirit, he's nudging, he's tapping and saying, hey, there's something in your life you need to make better. Just trust me. That's God. And in this series, if you feel that, I believe it's a gift. My whole point of this series is not to scare. I never use fear as a tactic to try to get people to follow Christ. Because if that happens, um, you'll only follow until the next fear is a bit bigger than whatever you felt. And then you'll go to the next fear, right? But when it's a conscious decision that you say, God, I surrender it all. God, I go all in. That's different because you're making a decision, not from an emotion, not because of you're, you're scared, but because you're making a decision saying, I really, really want this. And maybe some of you in this room today, you need to make that decision saying, God, I really really want to go all in. I want to follow you. God, my life is not in order in some areas. I'm going to get it in order. God, my, I have not put you first in every area. I want to put you first. Do me a favor. Close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service. If you're here today and you would say, you know what? My life is not in order. I have not put God first in everything. It's day. I want to. That's you. Would you lift your hand right there in your seat saying, it's me. Leave me a prayer. Give me an opportunity, Father God, to know you more. Anybody else? Some few hands go up. Anybody else? All right. For you in this room that maybe you're wrestling with something, you're something God's pointing out to you, this week would you just make it a priority to say, God, I'm going to continue to pray on this thing until I know what you're asking. Just like Daniel. Daniel didn't completely understand what was going on, but he kept praying and seeking God, and he got the answer. Keep seeking and praying, God. All right. For you that raise your hand, I'll lead you to prayer. The rest of us, would you pray with me so that they're not praying alone? Say this today. Say, Father God, today I invite you to my life. Come, make me a new creation. I go all in. I put you first. I trust your ways. Thank you for sending Jesus to give me an example of how to live. 
Thank you that he died on that cross to give us a new life. Thank you that he's alive today with good plans for my life. Come into my life. I'll put you first. Forgive me when I miss it. Forgive me when I make myself the sinner. Forgive me when I step out of what you have for me. Today, I say yes to you. Give me ears to hear what you're saying. Give me courage to do what's right all the time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, church. Let's celebrate those that prayed that. Such a good...